Welcome back to Series 3 of Mud Between Your Toes, Conversations with Pete Wood. In this series, I'm interviewing people from around the world, from all walks of life, and all with stories to share. So sit back and enjoy. Today's episode was recorded on my terrace, so you might hear a few aeroplanes, birds, and a few village dogs barking. I do apologize. Hello, my guest today is senior sports correspondent for AFP. Danny Hicks has more than 30 years of reporting under his belt and has a regular radio slot on Hong Kong's RTHK. Throughout his career, he's covered nearly all the major sporting events, interviewed a ton of famous sports stars, and somewhere along the line, kissed the Blarney Stone and hasn't stopped talking ever since. <laughs> He's here today to chat about the Tokyo Olympic Games. So Danny Hicks, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Thank you, Peter. And as a, as a rare aircraft goes over, I just want to say I'm so honoured to be here and uh, glad to be on your great podcast at last. Well, and on my terrace where you'll probably hear some barking dogs and a few <laughs> birds. So, Danny, you've been lucky to travel the world and report on several World Cups, Olympic Games, various sporting yeah. tournaments, and, of course, numerous controversies and sporting scandals. So, talking of controversies, it makes sense to chat to you today about the Tokyo Olympic Games, which, the last time I looked, is due to start on the 23rd of July. It hasn't been an easy ride for the IOC, and for Japan, has it? you might be forgiven if you thought the Games were cursed. I mean, when the International Olympic Committee awarded Japan the Games over seven years ago, Tokyo billed itself as a safe pair of hands. Yes, indeed. And of course, the Games were going to be a celebration. They were going to be a celebration of rebuilding Japan after the tsunami in 2011, after the Fukushima nuclear disaster. In, in a similar way to the, the original Tokyo Games in 1964, were a celebration of the rebuilding of Japan after the horrors of the Second World War. And, you know, the Shinkansen bullet trains were launched in 1964 and it was the new Japan and technology. This was going to be the, the re-emergence of Japan and a celebration of them getting back to normal after those terrible disasters in 2011. But, as you say, since then, it has been almost a, a, a daily... A catalogue of scandal. A plethora of scandals. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of years when everything seemed to be hunky-dory. Then in 2015, um, the, the, the stadium plans were thrown out. I mean, there, were, there was an eye-watering... They were going to rebuild the original 1964 Olympic Stadium. A $2 billion price tag would have made it by far the, the most expensive stadium in the world. Um, the, the, the government rightly turned around and said... We are going to not have that. It's too much. They threw the designs out. The original designs had to be be redone. And then the same year, we had the Olympic logo, which was launched to great fanfare, um, had to be scrapped as well because it turned out it was incredibly similar to to a, a logo of a theatre in Belgium, a little theatre <laughs> in Belgium, uh, who uh, quite rightly complained that they, their logo had been plagiarised. And the designer, Kenjiro Sanu, not only was his logo ditched, he was ditched as well. And they had to have a sort of nationwide competition to design a new logo for the Olympics. So within a couple of years of them being awarded the Games to great fanfare, it was already going wrong. It was already cursed. So, I mean, 
where does one begin? I mean, should should we begin with sexism? Well, sexism is a is a is is not a new thing in Japan. It must be said, um, uh, a, a country that still seems to be run very much on the old sort of uh, imperial lines in some ways, with you know eighty four year old men ruling the roost and and not a lot of women in top positions. But it all came to a head this year, of course. Um, when the Yoshiro Mori, a former prime minister of Japan, in fact, the chief of the Tokyo Olympics uh, in February, had to resign after um, making the claim that women talk too much in meetings and they shouldn't be allowed, you know, and all this sort of thing, sparked an absolute firestorm. Um, he's been replaced by uh, an Olympic minister, a woman, it must be said, thank goodness, Saiko Hashimoto, 56-year-old, not an 84-year-old. He'd actually proposed an 83-year-old successor to him, so um, a man, um, but that was rightly so thrown out. But you have to say, why did it take until this year for them to notice these sort of things being said by these sort of people in charge of the Olympics? Because after all, we should have actually had the Games already last July and they should have been done and dusted. So if they hadn't been delayed, we wouldn't have even known about these things. But anyway, this all came at a time when, you know, in January and February, polls were saying that 80% of people in Japan didn't want the Olympics to happen in the middle of a pandemic. Tokyo was in lockdown. And and then just when we thought we got over that and, and people coming out and saying, yes, the Olympics will go ahead, come what may, we're going to have the torture, this, that and the other. We had another sexism row when the designer, the chief the design chief for the Olympics, the guy in responsible for the opening and closing ceremonies and all the fanfare involved in that, although they'll be downplayed because of a pan, Hiroshi Sasaki, he had to resign because he'd suggested that they could have one of Japan's most famous entertainers, a rather, uh, shall we say, plus-size comedienne, uh, Naomi Watanabe. We could have her at the Olympic opening ceremony. We could dress her as an Olympic, P-I-G. Oh, no. And... Uh, uh, to absolute, you know, aghast uh, people around the table in this meeting, of course, he had to fall on his sword as well. And that was only a few weeks ago. So they lurch from one crisis to it beggars to another, belief, doesn't it? Yeah. And that, and I mean, we haven't even begun with COVID and the postponement. Yeah. Or the fact that you know, um, uh, a leading or oh, the head of Japan's Olympic Committee, Shinokazu Takeda, was. Uh, in 2019, charged by French magistrates for set, accepting 2,000, uh, sorry, 2.3 million dollars in illegal payments before and after Tokyo's nomination, uh, and and is, uh, uh, is subject to court proceedings in France. I mean, you know, and, and he was and forced to step down. He was forced to step down, as as were all the others involved. You know, finally we seem to have some sort of um, stability at the top there, and and people who. who kind of know what they're doing but uh you know we're only three months to go uh, as this podcast goes out we'll be we'll be virtually three months to the day uh, and and even yesterday as we record this um you know regions in japan are seeking new virus emergency measures we've had three regions the torture they kicked off last month in fukushima or near fukushima to celebrate the nuclear disaster but with no spectators allowed no cheering allowed for anybody who does turn up on the route because that might spread covid now we've had Osaka and uh, I think Matsuyama and then the southern island of Okinawa have all banned the torch relay from public roads because they don't want crowds gathering because of the COVID situation, which is not easing in Japan. It must be said it's getting worse, as it is in many plain well, parts of the world. Well, haven't they just declared a state of emergency? And they de 
they've declared they just relieved a state of emergency in Tokyo, but the the governors of Osaka and Tokyo are calling for another one to be imposed. We're three months away from the Olympics. We've already had foreign fans banned. This will be the first so there, Olympics there in no history. There are no foreign fans going to the Olympics. No visitors from overseas will oh, be allowed God. to attend the Olympics. First time and in history that, that's 80% ever happened. of Japanese are demanding that the Games uh, be reconsidered. Yes. Uh, apparently the latest poll, there's been a slight easing in that position. I think the torch relay has, has helped get a few people on board with uh, supporting the Olympics and they've seen the torch and they're... They think it can happen now that foreign spectators are not going to be allowed and they and they don't think it's going to be some sort of imported super spreader event for COVID. Apparently now 29% of people uh, are in favour of it going ahead, but at least 71% who aren't, which is not great in a country of 125 million people, is it? As I get attacked by a wasp on your terrace. <laughs> now, I mean, you say... Foreigners aren't allowed, but obviously the foreign press are going. I assume you're going. Yes. Well, at the moment, yeah. If it's on, I, I'm intending to go. And um, we, we from AFP, uh, will be one of the, the agencies that has the largest presence there. I think we, we probably will have the largest presence there in terms of, you know, videographers, photographers, uh, text reporters uh, and editors like myself. Um, I... Personally, I, I might have quite one of the better deals because I'm going to be out doing the golf, which is at Saitama, which is just on the sort of outside Tokyo. And golf, obviously, is naturally a socially distanced event. So I might not be quite subject to some of the restrictions that some of my colleagues are under. But the basic problem is that we are going to have to test before we leave. We're going to have to test on arrival. And then we're for 14 days on arrival. We are going to be in a biosecure bubble, the media, in which we can only travel from accommodation via official transport to venue. A venue will be restricted. There won't be the normal kind of mix zones where we can um, where we can mix with officials and athletes and get our stories and talk to people. It's all going to be done via Zoom conferences. It's going to be very it's different. It's going to be very strange to keep the atmosphere going. Yeah, and, and there's going to be no foreign fans, and the fans that are there are going to be told not to shout and cheer, but to collapse politely because if you shout and cheer you can spread covid and this sort of thing and i don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like like i say i'm going to be out of the gulf which naturally is quite quiet and socially distanced and i'll be in a in a hotel that's outside the center of tokyo so i might have you know probably the better deal personally but it's going to be really difficult working conditions for us all and then after we've been there two weeks apparently then we can go out, we can go to a bar, we can go to a restaurant, we can take public transport, we can take a cab and we can move around with a lot more freedom. But uh, that will, I'll arrive a week before the Olympics, so that will be a week into the Olympics. So it'll only be for the final week of the Olympics where reporters such as myself will actually be free to go around and, and do our job as we normally would. So the entire press corps will have to be mm. in 14 days quarantine. Yes. So that means that they're paying for the hotels for 14 days ahead. Well, it's not Would quarantine. Would you normally go that far ahead of an event like this well, anyway? Well, it, it's not quarantine. Let's, let's it's get not straight. quarantine. It's, it's a biosecure environment. Okay. So we are not allowed outside that biosecure environment. So that includes our accommodation, official Olympic transport and the venues. So we're not allowed mm. outside of that. So we have to eat all our meals in the hotel. The hotels will be, if you like, locked down. Um, and we will be able to travel. We would normally go about a week before an event because we have our preview material and we have to do all our setting up and, and, and find the lie of the land and the venues and so on. It's all unfamiliar to all of us, you know. Um, so 
but we will, the restrictions will be quite onerous. We have to provide a daily itinerary in advance of where we're going to be, at what time, what venues we're going to be at, what transport we're going to be taking, whether we're going to be working in the main media centre, the main press centre, the MPC as we call it, or at a venue. And that will all have to be adhered to for the first 14 days. After that, it becomes like a normal Olympics. We can move around as, as we please. But... Uh, you know, we're not mm. going to be able to mix with athletes. There's normally a mix zone for journalists in the athletes' village, for example, in Olympics. People wouldn't know this, but this is a place where we can request athletes to meet them and do our interviews for previewing events or post events. Um, TV and radio, especially, can do their interviews within the athletes' village. So we travel to them, to the athletes, and we meet them and, and we can talk to them freely. There isn't one this year. Mm. The coverage is going to be quite restricted from this sort of point of view. We, we, we will not be able to get the sort of interviews. And the same for the broadcast media, same for radio, same for TV, radio, written media, press, you name it. It's going to be the same for everyone. So we're all in the same boat, but it's going to be quite um, unusual working conditions. Yeah, it's going to be a different Olympics. And that's, of course, if it goes ahead. Yeah, if it goes ahead. And, and talking of which, I mean, have any countries pulled out? Only one so far, North Korea, um, because of COVID, they said. However, um, reading between the lines, and not was wanting to cast any aspersions on the great Kim Jong-un uh, uh, and, uh, and his henchmen and women, um, it's, it's, it's a political decision because South Korea have been talking up about having a joint Olympic team, about as they did at the Winter Olympics in Pyongyang. Chang uh, in South Korea a couple of years ago uh, and talking about a joint bid to host the Olympics in the future with the North and using that as sort of political leverage to get around the table and talk, you know, peace and all the things that between North and South Korea. It appears at the moment North Korea don't want any part of that. The pulling out of the Olympics gives them a convenient excuse to avoid... Uh, having to meet their South Korean counterparts. That's my reading of it. Mm. They say it's because of COVID, and they've had no COVID infections in North Korea, and they want to keep it that so way. They say, of course okay. they have. Well, I mean, um, the budget has completely blown out of the water, hasn't it? I mean, in fact, yeah. I mean, you know, it's an issue that always comes up with Olympic Games, but this time in particular, yeah, there have been record costs, despite... Um, I using mean, uh, old stadiums, yeah, uh, revamped old stadiums, things like the the the, the Budokan for the for the judo and things like famous old venue, you know, where the Beatles first played in Japan and Bob Dylan were built for the 1964 Olympics. They've been revamped and re there are a lot of venues being reused, but of course, delaying by a year is going to in is going yeah. to increase costs. You have to keep staff on for an extra year. You have to keep. Um, venues uh, in in olympic mode whereas they they can't be allowed open to the public as they would have done post an olympics um things like the athletes village which if, if people know about athletes villages at olympics just to explain basically they're normally newly built but they're private houses apartment blocks uh houses uh maisonettes apartment blocks facilities which then get sold off as private uh, dwellings after an olympics and become a new housing development of course lots of people have bought those thinking they were going to be moving in probably by now <laughs> and of course they're having to be uh, held off with sweeteners and and their deposits and their money is not coming in to complete on those properties so there's increased costs with that 
And of course, a lot oh, of Olympics is run it's on borrowed an money. Shit show. Let's face it. Um, it's not good. Uh, in December, the the extra costs were announced, and they're probably bigger now. But um, in December, it was announced by the the organising committee that antivirus measures. Don't forget these antivirus measures are very costly as well. Testing is not cheap mm. for thousands of athletes, uh, and other delay related costs have added two hundred ninety four billion. That's with a B, yen. That's about $2.8 billion, billion with a B, dollars to the price tag, which means that the, co- the games will cost at least 1.64 trillion yen to stage, which is, you won't get much change out, 16 billion US dollars, um, making Tokyo 2020 the most expensive Summer Olympics ever. And who... Puts that bill? Is it Japan or is it the IOC? Well, the IOC will foot some of it, but the IOC will be at pains to tell you it's a non-profit organisation, okay, so it well, doesn't we'll have go much. On in, to that in a minute, doesn't have much it? in the coffers, but they do put in a, a few billion from from their various uh, interests. But basically, it's down to Japan, and it's down to the sponsors. It's down to the, and of course, the sponsors are you know they 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 they're not getting any. With a year's delay, they're not getting the bang for their buck last year, but they aren't in a lot of things. But the big sponsors, the big corporate sponsors, um, are the ones that are putting up the money, and um, they do not want to see an Olympics cancelled. I think that, you know, you're coming back to your first question, will we see this Olympics happen? I think we will, in some shape or form, because I think the consequences of cancelling are far too great for everyone. I think it could it could start to sound the end of the Olympics and the Olympic ideal. And indeed, there are new leagues that are coming up in the background, which I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you know, I wanted to say how relevant are the games these days? Mm. I mean, aren't people becoming disenchanted with all the corruption? In fact, writer Alex Perry has written an explosive piece in Outside magazine about swimming in the Olympics and uh, FINA and how the upstart mm. ISL or International Swimming League, um, their plans to blow up Olympic sports and usher in a new era of athlete fairness. Yeah, I, the, the thing about the Olympics is that for many sports, uh, for its duration, it has been the pinnacle of the sport. It is the, the highest honour you can attain. In athletics, an Olympic gold medal is second to In swimming, an Olympic gold medal is second to Rowing, um, archery, these sort of sports. Um, and swimming has said, why should it be only four years? And this this entrepreneur, this, this you know billionaire from Russia who Con- set up this... Konstantin Grigorishin. Who is now a sort of Ukrainian exile because he's upset everyone in the governments of Ukraine and, and Russia, which is probably not a good idea, but uh, he's he's got the the balls to do it let's face well, it well i mean he calls and the olympic games the most successful exercise in brainwashing of mm. all time i think that the olympic i you talk about relevance these days um i don't know you know my kids don't know an awful lot about the olympics when we were growing up peter you know there's something we look forward to every four years it was one of the few times we would see live sport on tv and we could watch it and and these sports was the only time we could see them um these days, not so much. Everyone can watch anything any time they want. I still do look forward want. to it, though. I, and I like the fact that you can pick and choose your sport. Yeah. You know, it's it's fine just having a swimming competition, but it's great to be able to then go on to something else. Once you, 
I think but, it's, you know, it, the corruption mm. has got people down. And, and the thing about yeah. Alex Perry's article, the thing that amazed me was the fact that the athletes make so little mm. out of it. There are so many athletes who have ended up selling their gold medals in order to pay for yeah. their training. Well, you have to remember that also, until very, very recently, in the last 20 years, Olympics was solely the preserve of amateur sport. Uh, you you did it for the love of sport, and we we know that was sort of amateur with an asterisk because of sponsors and you know amateurs would who would have their all their kit provided and would would get funded mm. from governments and so on, but ostensibly sport was an amateur, and and unfortunately um, the, the the powers that be in the Olympics still regard it in that 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 the money that's made from it should go to them, not to the people who are actually providing the content, if you like, to get all 2021 and talk about content providers and, and you know, influencers. Who are the biggest content providers and influence? The athletes. They are the influencers. They are the people that people want to follow. They are the, they will sell the merchandise. And as you say, they're getting very, very little in return. Um, you think a, a swimmer would get, you know, in the, single digit thousands for for winning a swim meet whereas a you know a premier league footballer will be paid hundreds of thousands a week um to kick a ball about it, there is a discrepancy there whether that's the fault of the olympics movement i'm not so sure i think the olympic movement is ideals are are still stand stand up as far as i'm concerned but the Olympic movement is aware of it. And this is why we are try seeing the Olympics try to uh, appeal to different audiences. We've got skateboarding coming into the Olympics in Tokyo as a demonstration event. We've got speed climbing. We've got surfing. Rugby uh, sevens. Rugby sevens came in at the last Olympics in Rio. Golf was readmitted in the last. I'm not so sure that uh, was a great idea because, you know, as yeah. I said, the Olympics should be the pinnacle of your sport, the biggest prize in your sport. The golf has its majors. You know, would would someone rather win an Olympic gold medal in golf or a major? It's a very interesting point. Justin Rose, who won the gold medal at the last Olympics, and I've had lots of discussions with him about this, the English golfer, um, said he was a little bit sceptical going into Rio, but once he got into it and being in the village and living with it, uh, other athletes and representing your country rather than yourself yeah. almost going back to that amateur ideal and then winning the gold medal and then the kudos that gave him he was the first golfer to win a gold medal in nearly a hundred years you know because it hadn't been in the olympics and he he carried it with him anyway he played in the hong kong open that year and i i bumped into him on the wednesday after the pro-am and i said oh justin you haven't got the medal on you he said yes i have and he pulled it out of his pocket yeah no, he carried it every great amount of pride yeah. involved in it all. and it's only once every four years it's, yeah it's something you might get to attempt once twice in your sporting career that's it. But it's not doesn't come along every week. But Danny, in fairness, I mean this chap, Grigorishin, this uh, Ukrainian billionaire, he says um, he's predicted that without reform, the games might carry on for a decade mm. or two as a prestigious sideshow, as they they have become as they have become for tennis, soccer, and basketball. I I, I agree. I, I I think that's that's very relevant. I think the, the games themselves should not be the, the, where the athletes have to make their money. I think the games is for 
just what I said about Justin Rose, the pride of representing your country, the pride of doing something that no one else can do once in four years, win that medal. Um, that's what that should be about. So therefore, around the Games, the athletes should be allowed to make their money and become the best that they can be going into the Olympics. And something like he set up, the International Swimming League, has certainly allows them to do that. The, the problems he's been facing, of course, is that it rubs the existing governing bodies, FINA uh, in swimming and the it's European Swimming Association, it rubs their women. noses in it and exposes them for how corrupt they've been. That's not a bad thing. If you can sweep away the corruption in the individual sports and weightlifting has its problems, boxing has its problems, they all have their problems and get back to the ideals of the Olympics once every four years, I think the Olympics survives. And not only that, I think it thrives. Well, I reckon it'll be a welcome relief to a world just emerging from lockdown. Mm. Um, and considering the resounding success of the Rugby World Cup, let's hope Japan can put on a good show. It was, honestly, it was fantastic. I can't believe it. It just seemed like so long ago now that I was there at the Rugby World Cup in Japan. I went to the Wales-Australia game as a fan. I wasn't covering it for AFB, but I went over with a few friends from Hong Kong. We had a fantastic week there. We took in games. We met other fans. We saw Japan beat Ireland. We saw Japan beat Scotland. It was just the most incredible festival of joy and rugby, and the, the Japanese people really embraced it, and it, it, it's awful to think that, you know, just a few months later we were then suddenly in this pandemic the olympics were being cancelled and it and it looked like we might not have the olympics at all uh, and it's you know it's still touch and go but i think it will happen it's going to be very different as i say but i think it will it will give a lift to everyone if if we can get it on but the main thing is safely for the athletes and everyone concerned because you know this this covid has been been so terrible for everyone we need we need Olympics games, as you say. Give us a lift, give us a boost. Let's all be able to sit down in July, watch some great sport, and just celebrate, cheer on our countrymen from wherever we may be, um, and women, and and hope they win medals for us. Absolutely. Well, listen, Danny Hicks. Sadly, we're out of time, but I hope I can persuade you to come back another time to chat to me about other sports, <laughs> and in particular some stories you have about the many stars you've met along the way. Um, in the meantime, Danny Hicks, thank you for joining me on Conversations with Peter Wood. You're very welcome, Pete. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for now. But if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, Faintly Amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms, from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye. <laughs>